welcome to OK Video. This week we're offering two sodas for $6, which isn't really a deal except one costs $3.50 here, so it seems like a deal because of our markups. I'm Nathan Rohr, formerly of Rogers Video Store 613, and I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Well, I mean, our movie deals were always like two bottles, like two small bottles of pop, so two for six was Like 591 crazy. mils? Or yeah, like... type of thing. Well, it was 600 at that point before they got sued. Anyways, oh. um, <laughs> okay. hi, I'm Ryan, uh, super Nick Cage fan. Uh, just to prepare for this movie's, I've even watched two other Nick Cage films this week just to kind of prepare for this Nick Cagey type conversation we're going to have today. So Okay. I hope that's the reason and not like you didn't get adequate Cage from this week's Oh, feature. no, no. I watched, so I watched this supplement. movie after those other two ones. Okay. I mean, okay. no, no. Yeah, after. Yeah, so that's right. But yes, we're, we are looking at the films of Nick Cage. The most famous fossil collector I know about. Uh, he also owned a castle at one point, which is awesome. Uh, I think, right? So I think Leo, yeah, he owned a castle. Leo DiCaprio also collects fossils, dinosaur fossils. Oh, okay. So yes, there's two that you know about. Sure. Uh, we're examining uh, Firebirds this week from 1990. It's directed by David Green and was released by Touchstone, but it's not on Disney Star. Not so yet. I had to pay $5 for it to watch it oh sorry and, uh, no it's okay short movie uh it is <laughs> a short movie released right? may 25th 1990 it cost 22 million and made 14.7 million it just says domestic but i don't think this movie would have had any play outside of the united states <laughs> i don't know uh it just came four years too late which i'll get to in our summary I, I was going to prompt that as well, but okay, if you want to tell us the rundown on Firebirds. Great, great. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. All right, so it's a it's a pretty simple uh, summary today. Have you seen Top Gun? Yeah. Great. It's that with Apache with the Apache helicopters. Ba- basically, but also like even murkier politics, I would say, because yeah. at least the Cold War is like this long-standing chapter in like conflict and everything. This is just, hey, the war on drugs, we're escalating it. George George Bush is going to send in some attack helicopters. That's why I said it was four years too late. Everything about this movie is four years too late. But I also feel like this screenplay wouldn't have been written until that opening quote by George Bush is on, like, was stated. You know? I don't think so. I think they put that in there to, like, try to make themselves sound fancier. I think oh, this is like, like, I would say oh, this is we like, we were going to be fighting Russians, but then that all sort of stopped. Yeah. So what do we do? And then we like pivoted 100%. to this other conflict. Yes. Yeah. You might so, be right. That, like, honestly, I, like, I basically was going to ask you about Top Gun too. Like how, how do you feel about Top Gun? Oh, I, as a self-proclaimed, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big, okay, I should be very clear about this. I'm a okay. big Tom Cruise's films fan. Okay. I'm not necessarily a Tom Cruise fan because, you know, there's all that baggage. Because of the the other things that yes. we got into in our Battlefield Earth episode. Yeah, we did get into it in our Battlefield out. Earth. But I really like Tom Cruise's films. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, a lot of them that I love kind of come the firm afterwards. Okay. There's some movies for before the firm where I really like. like Color of Money and. Color of Money. Okay, there's like a mixed mix bag. I love the Color of Money. I don't like Days of Thunder. Sure. I don't what like about Rain Man. I love Rain Man. Okay. But I don't love Top Gun or Cocktail. Okay. And it's Tony Scott too, so it's got some like chops. Well, Days of Thunder is but... also Tony Scott. Yeah. 
But and um, did you love that one or no? Not? I said no because we brought that up in our driven episode. Taste of Thunder. Yes, <laughs> I did not like that one either. Yeah, Tuck okay. on. I don't know. I maybe need to watch it again. I I grew up not caring too much about it. But that being said, I'm ex- I am excited for the second one just because, from what I could tell, the practical effects in that movie look pretty intense, and with modern oh, filmmaking, okay. just like yeah. I think it could be a fun movie. Mm. So that movie I remember mostly as like a movie my dad thought was really cool. Yeah, like he owned it on videotape, mm-hmm. and it'd just be like, oh, okay. Like I didn't even need to add this to our library. It's just there if so, I ever want to watch Top Gun. One of my favorite stats of all time is like mid '90s. Top Gun was like one of the highest grossing of movies of all time because of rental sales. Because oh, it was okay. it was like the most rented film for like a decade and a bit into rental business. This is like 1992. It's just like, what do you want to watch? It's like, eh, Top Gun. Yeah. Sure. Like it was just, nobody bought it. They just all rented it. And it made so much money off of rental sales. Like so much money off of rent. It was like the thing that like – it was the movie that really showed that the rental industry was a legitimate place thing that you mm-hmm. could do. So Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about Top Gun because this was obviously greenlit because oh my of the goodness. success Firebirds, of Top Gun. Firebirds is is and I, I don't mean to be like we, we like to be cagey sometimes with their summaries here, but like no joke. We're dismissing it this or is, being like reductive. This it's like is no, it's literally Top Gun with Apache hel- helicopters. Like there is a gruff old man, Tom Skerritt type guy played by Tommy Lee Jones, who has to begrudgingly train this like young hotshot who's like better than he thinks he is. Tom Cruise played by Nicolas Cage. There's a woman mm-hmm. who works on the Air Force base, uh, Army base, whatever type of thing, like Kelly McGinnis, but this time it's Sean Young, but she's actually another helicopter pilot. Like it's... The only thing this movie's missing, and it's actually you can tell it, it's missing this because of the thirty-minute time difference. Is it's missing Goose and it's missing Iceman. Yeah, there's just less characters. There is yeah. a character named Rice Man, <laughs> there is which really threw me during like his introductory <laughs> scene. It's like, is Tommy Lee Jones just saying Iceman right now? Like, did they really just do that? But it's like, no, no, it's Rice. It's yes. Rice. We, he oh, wasn't okay. Asian, right? No, he was good, good. he was just good, his good, gunner good, good, buddy. Good. Like, yeah, no, 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 that's fine. I just wanted to make sure he was. I'm assuming it's a Vietnam War joke, though. Okay. I would assume. Sure. I don't know. It's probably still racist in some way, but at least it's not racist. Somehow, at that yeah. Um, like, no, he really blew up a rice patty back in the '60s. Gotcha. <laughs> like something horrible. Um, but yeah, yeah, so it's like despite the fact this movie stars better actors than Tom Cruise, like than Tom Top Gun, like I would prefer a movie with Nicolas Cage at the helm. Than Tom Cruise at this era. Yeah. I would prefer paper, Tommy Lee yeah. Jones over Tom Skerritt. Sure. Yeah. And here we are with this movie and it's not better. <laughs> it's not better. Uh, it's, it is like one of the simplest three acts I've ever like looked at. Cause it's, it's 83 minutes essentially with credits also yes. 86 or yeah. whatever, but it's essentially just like a bad guy attacks Nick during this mission and he recounts it to his army bosses and he's he like, has to how go get trained up though? Well, no, he can deal because with they, air he to felt air. he's an air, he's a helicopter pilot, but he felt so unprepared because this crazy South American Scorpion dude helicopter. Is like, was able to do yeah. all these crazy flips. Which, in all fairness, the helicopter stunts in this movie are fantastic. Oh yeah, there's some good helicopter footage. Yeah, in um, this motion picture. But this guy is like crazy, and so Nick Cage is like, we were outgunned, outmanned. We can't do anything with the training we have. And so he convinces, essentially convinces the government to start this Apache helicopter training protocol to take on drugs. Yeah, to take on the war on drugs yeah. in South America. 
And then the center of the movie is training up to where he can deal with air to air combat. And then the end of the movie is the air to air combat. Yeah. And then we're done. Exactly. Exactly. Like Top Gun. Yeah. And I guess there's the romance subplot happening on the sidelines and also his eye dominance problem, (laughs) which is just like, I feel like it's just like, man, our screenplay is at like 70 minutes, dude. (laughs) Like, what are we doing? It's like, all right. He has like an eye problem. And Tommy Lee Jones also had that eye problem when he was a trainee. So he's going to come up with there's one. There's like a single scene where they train it out of him. <laughs> and then that'll get us to our minimum required 80 minutes. And then we can make this. Into and then we can say this is an actual like, film and not, not Dumbo. Um, it's a paper thin. It is. It's, yeah. This eye dominance scene is so hilarious to me because, okay, like knowledge, general knowledge. I think this should be general knowledge at this point. But like if you're going to be a fire pilot or working within the military – Eyesight is key. Super and like, key. But yeah. he's so far along in his thing, like in his training as a helicopter pilot. And at this level is when they're figuring out that he has an eye dominance problem. Oh, man. It really like th- – because like he's in the simulator and he's like acing it. They're cranking up the difficulty to Zulu. He's yeah. like the best. And then suddenly it's like, all right. Put this little eyepiece over your right eye. No, no, no. Oh, what's going on? No, and no, 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 no. You're missing the whole key see. thing. So, yes, yeah. he's in the simulator. He's doing a great job in the simulator. But then he puts him in a real Apache helicopter, and he covers up the entire inside of the can- of the cockpit. Like he has no peripheral vision. He it's has no vision whatsoever other than yeah. what's coming up on radar, which is over one of his eyes. And he's having troubles because he's what he's using when he's normally flying is he's using both of his eyes to see the horizon and using this eye for aiming. But Tommy Lee Jones is like, if you're like deep undercover in the middle of the night, you have or to you're learn doing how to a f- night op or something. Yeah, you have yeah. to learn how to fly well, but only trust that your night vision goggles. And it's mm-hmm. like, so it's a good training thing. But then he freaks out so bad. And then, yeah, Sweating. they solve a good like 10 minute detour in the movie and they solve his eye dominance problem. My favorite part is the bit of exposition that Sean Young has to give where she explains to the audience what eye dominance is. It's like, Oh, my dad had that. Yeah. yeah. No, no. It was like, he's like, okay, uh, I want you to shoot me. Like you have a toy gun and like Nick Cage points out his finger and closes one of his eyes. And he starts shaving. He's like, you have an eye dominance problem. And I was like, see, my dad used to aim the same way. He was right-handed, but left eyed. <laughs> yeah. So, you're going to need to put a periscope on your head and drive. Which is crazy because I'm right-handed and right-eyed. Because when Perfect. I when I got, aim with my gun, I'm closing my left eye, which makes me right-eye dominant. I, I didn't even try to research like if this is a real problem or it's just like, oh, you need this helmet then. There you go. The no, it's a real problem. Helmet. But it's a real problem that they suss out. And like they won't let you fly until they have like when you're a fighter jet pilot, you have to like yeah like there's so many things you have to no not even like he was flying an Apache helicopter at that moment (laughs) like they had him in a helicopter when he's like you have so many tests like you have to pass like you have to have like twenty ten vision twenty five vision like you have to have like perfect beyond perfect vision you have to be able to withstand G's a force because you're all the dives and stuff like that and like eye dominance would have been solved long before or been sussed out that this is an issue for him way before he is like in the air doing this like pass or fail test and what's hilarious what's hilarious about it is tommy lee at the end of this test is like you're out man like that's it you're kicked out of the program you're on probation and then like nick cage finds out he has this eye dominance problem 
finds out that Tommy Lee Jones had the exact same problem and Tommy Lee was not going to help him until Nick Gage confronts him. Like he's just At like the grocery store with yeah. his kids. Like, he's like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. I, oh, like, I had the well, exact same problem as a kid. Like he had the exact same problem and he's not going to help Nick Cage. This like, yeah, action. it's like he's wrestling with whether or not he wants to help because he used to be the best. And now he's kind of aging out of being the best. So he's kind of like bitter about it or something, I guess, is the character motivation. Oh, it's... like he has kind of like a soul searching talk with his wife about like, I don't know. I don't In know one what of my least here. It's like train the best pilot that you may ever encounter. Like what? I yeah. don't, there's not really a conflict here. Like, just just go do that. So this really bugged me and I can't, can't tell you why other than like, so Tommy Lee, he's having that conversation with his wife and he's eating a. Like a a rubble, a dilly like a, bar or something, yeah, like a, type of thing, dilly an bar, ice cream bar, yeah. And he's getting chocolate in his like lip cracks, and it <laughs> just looks like like they just needed to like he's just because he's just sucking on this chocolate thing, and he's getting chocolate all over his lips while he's doing the scene. And I'm like, I can't unsee the fact that this man looks dirty while he's filming this scene with his wife. I was kind of marveling at how how little ice cream he was eating during yeah. this whole conversation. Is just this like a retakes trick? No, I like, think because he was it was consistently dirty. Like he was dirty yeah, okay. in the exact same spot. So I was like, he just did this one big take, but he's just sucking on this dilly bar rather than which makes sense because if it is a long scene, he doesn't want to be taking a bite out of a dilly bar and have it melting, so he keeps it closed and then have to bite it again the yeah. same way and all this. But so, yeah. anyways, I, I, I did just notice the me. ice cream bar. Yeah, yeah, it was just bugging me. Nathan, oh man, I I was I was so hesitant putting this movie on our list, yeah. Because like, so before we started the season, Nathan and I made this giant list out. Like every movie we'd be willing to watch from Nick Cage's filmography, my list was twice as long as Nathan's. But mm-hmm. we kind of sussed things out, and like Firebirds was one I didn't have on my list, and Nathan <laughs> put him on his list because he wanted to watch it again, and I was like, okay, fine, we'll watch it. But, like, I was so nervous about putting it on because this is actually one of the times where Nick Cage can't save this movie. Yeah, it sort of contrasts well with our discussion of Vampire's Kiss last week where it's like that movie is like the director let him off the leash and let him go crazy. I feel like he is on a leash this whole movie. Like, he barely gets to be Nick Cage. Oh, there's so many motion picture. Like, there's little things where like he could have been Nick Cage. There's like one scene. Oh, it's, I can't remember right off the top of my head, but there's one scene where I was like, "Oh, I heard Nick Cage's voice." What I think his voice is for the first time, and I was like, "Oh man, okay, good." There's Nick Cage. Oh, he's gone because he's just he's so like he doesn't even have the flash in his eyes like he normally does. He doesn't have a smile. He's so like stiff, and it's like almost he's trying to be the popular Hollywood version of an action star. He thinks he wants to be, and so what's what he thinks the world wants but here's the thing i just watched the rock this week which is really like the beginning of his action career right like his big action mm-hmm. career and nick what's great about that movie is nick plays against type when it comes to an action star like he never once swears in that movie he says he says hands up sucker and then he says like he, he says like gosh darn and then he says so many like replacement swears throughout that whole film like he doesn't swear he's like bumbling he's a nerd who likes like the beatles and like he doesn't know how to handle a gun like it's good stuff but he's in the middle of this action film doing action sequences mm-hmm. and i like i feel like that's like really nick cage that we get to see in that film cuz even when he then he plays the opposite which he plays cameron poe he decides to use a southern accent just like that hands up every part of everything he says put mm-hmm. down the bunny 
Put the bunny I back like in the box. I feel like this movie maybe had one moment that got to trade off of his ability, and it was the, like, I am the greatest scene when he's in the simulator. Because yeah. he just starts, like, yelling and psyching himself up while he's, like, flying around in this, like, 1990 computer graphics simulator of what a helicopter would look like or whatever. It's oh, It's the corniest it gets to get. And I appreciated it, but yeah. it overall, yeah, really tamps down. Like, the other part, I guess, is the romance subplot with Sean Young. He gets to, like, wiggle his eyebrows a bit and be kind of dumb, which I kind of liked yeah. here and there. Okay, but, but it's, like, my least favorite component of the story, so it's dragged down by that. So, if so. we could do an uh, un-MVP of a movie... Yeah. It would be Sean Young. Sean Young for you? Oh, my goodness. For me, I think it's David Newman, the music guy. Because I really wasn't digging how corny the score oh, was. Oh, sure. But at least, like, the corn, like, I expect corn. Something about Sean Young just always gets, I do not, I do not think she's a good actor. Mm. I find her to be just dull and t- terrible. And then, and then when I mix in all the stories I hear about her in Hollywood, and I'm just like, oh my goodness. She was, she was somebody who thought she had more talent than she actually did. And went around demanding more because of it, and Firebirds yeah. is exactly what she gets for it. Mm-hmm. I do, I do not. She, I found every single scene she was sucking the life out of anything Nick Cage was doing. Like the scene I'm specifically th- thinking of is like everything around the car, like Nick Cage being flirty with the car stuff. Yeah, she is sucking the the life out of that whole scene. Well, like, they're kind of being playful after like a reconciliation date or whatever, and jumping over the hood of a Corvette and everything. But yeah, there's. It's sort of forced, I guess. I I don't know what the like. She she's kind of a wet blanket character, and Slash I don't actress. know that that's entirely her fault. I I kind of wanted to give her one point in like this weird situation near the end of the movie where I feel it's just a writing thing. Like she's a trained helicopter pilot too, and there's a moment where she just doesn't know how to do anything, and Tommy Lee Jones is like, "All right." You're going to need to grab this like coffee can looking thing on the side of the helicopter, pull that lever. And it's like, she should know this. Like, I don't really get why this scene is in here where he's hurt. So he can't shoot the rocket. So he's like telling her how to do every single step of this thing. Yeah. It just kind of felt like this could have been a moment where she actually steps up and does something cool. So you gave her a point for something that they don't do. Well, I was, I felt bad, I guess, for the character or something. It felt like a misstep moment there at okay. the end but that's the end of the movie i guess we're not quite there yet but uh i i wanted to ask a question more like to the framework of it it's again like back to the war on drugs thing did you feel this movie was more or less complicated politically than a rambo film <laughs> like specifically rambo 2 oh like first yeah. blood part 2 um sure sorry yes rambo first blood part 2 um all of Rambo's movies except for the first one are very confused politically. Uh, mm-hmm. This movie, <laughs> this movie, like this is for me, this movie is confused politically mainly because like, I think the script was written after 1986 and then all the, instead of like doing good work on trying to find a new bad guy, I think they just, cause the bad guy only comes into play at the beginning of the movie and the end. And yeah. the rest of the middle is all a movie about training. Like it's, where they don't even really talk about it ever again. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm I think they to think just what the structure of like Top Gun is in relation to a bad guy. 
There's kind of just there like, isn't really oh one man, until... there's enemy MIGs. Yes. There's bad Russian planes here. Out, out of it. nowhere. You don't really thing. get a character no. or anything from that. But there's no but real character. Like there's this like out more film. With, there's a like, Russian looking cartel struggles. This movie yeah. has a Russian looking cartel character. And it's like, wait, why is this one, one helicopter Stoller, like the terrorizing the US army? Like that seems like bad business for a cartel. Yeah. Like, why would you in instigate a conflict with this armed forces for yes. no reason? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, the war, like, I mean, in all fairness, the war on drugs, like, was a big deal. But I've never, I didn't hear, unless it was, like, behind the scenes. Well, that's not true. American made just happen. Um, America was, has convoluted and complicated history with the drug war. George W. Bush did set a war on drugs, and they could have been, like, banking off of that. But there is no, like, discernible real villains in this movie other than the U.S. Army going and killing civilians. Because that dude was uh-huh. a civilian. Oh, man. I think it was just, like, there's, like, a conscious moment early in the film when he's, like, being debriefed by the generals and stuff. Where they're basically like, no, 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 let's oversimplify the war on drugs. Like, there's characters saying, like... No, this is a very complicated situation. We can't just retaliate. And this is like, all due respect, sir. I think it's really simple. They killed us, so we're gonna kill them. Like basically, is the like, that is okay. In all fairness, that is underlying. Rambo, though. Yeah, I know. That's why I was getting like Rambo vibes. I'm also like kind of apologizing because like I went to my IMDb page after watching this, and past me had given this like an eight. I know. Out of 10. I was like, this is a great movie. I was like. <laughs> All right, past Nathan. I think you might have <laughs> be been fair, in like a Rambo zone. Or Nathan, like that wasn't that long this. ago. We we watched this movie for the first time. Well, when I first watched it, it was like a Superstation staple, like way back when I was in like grade eight. Okay, but then I did revisit it a few years ago and thought it was just hilarious for yeah. some reason. For some reason, <laughs> and really boosted it. No, up. I remember like we had the conversation when we first when we first uh, we watched it around the same time, and you were like, "Yeah, I love it. it's great," and I was like, "I don't understand. Like, <laughs> this movie is not great." No, but like, okay, yeah. but like Rambo is different though. Rambo like is a broken character. Mm-hmm. Who's like stuck in war, and that's what makes like his newest movie so problematic. Because by the end of the fourth one, he broke away from war completely. And like now he, he's like looking for trouble. Yeah, and now he's looking of, for right? trouble. He's going around finding people to kill. So that's a problematic situation. Whereas Rambo keeps getting sucked into situations under the wrong guys, and then he gets he gets sucked into do violence. Right? Like he in Rambo four, like Rambo, he tries to like not get involved and not get involved and then he finds out these people get kidnapped he finally goes and does something like he re- he's always reluctant to get involved but sure. like last blood's different because he he just gets involved anyways yeah uh this movie is like this movie jake preston's like they took down that helicopter i was escorting i feel like i need jake to preston's also a soldier and his his commanders are telling him to do these things yeah so the soldiers don't really question their orders right like that's kind of like not a soldier's job to do like mm-hmm. he he makes an argument for it for sure at the beginning of the movie, but at the end of the day, the it's the generals that make the poor choices. But we're also talking about the U.S. military, like yeah, around 1990, oh, this... like when they went into Kuwait, like they went into Kuwait and they're liberating Kuwait, but really, like it was all that mess with Iraq. Like that's that's this time. Oh yeah, this was this is like a really weird period in just like American exceptionalism and like rah rah, let's go America first kind of like mm-hmm. attitudes happening. In this yeah, movie. we're bringing democracy like, to the world, and here we are thirty years later, and Iraq is not better off. 
Yeah. And like, there's just like news footage to justify the whole situation. It's just like, look, they're arresting people at this crack house. And it's like, okay, we got to go blow up people in South America then. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just this kind of like, I see the A and the C or whatever, but you're not really getting there. Like, you're just kind of saying war on drugs. And then, yeah, yeah. but they're saying like war on drugs. And then the writer has no nuance that it doesn't mean the US military is going to go fight civilians who are selling drugs. Mm-hmm. in columbia did the part of the story that like literally didn't register to me at all the last time i would have cared about this was like the tommy lee jones is getting old story yeah i don't know why that like stood out this time just like i've had a rough month or something i'm like yeah man can't jog like i used to or something but there's so many scenes that are just like tommy lee jones getting one up one upped by young recruits like they're just jogging past him or like sparring with him and taking him out and whatever. And I guess that worked. Like I wasn't mad at Tommy Lee in this movie. It's just like very comfortable material for him. Yeah, but like, like he doesn't bring any of his like usual Tommy. Like he's about to go into a really great career. Like I was looking at Tommy's career up until this point and yeah. it's like Coal Miner's da- daughter is like his big one. The big one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is like before even that, like Susan Sarandon lawyer movie. Yeah, the right? client, the client, right? Or like yeah. this is like a year before JFK. This is a like this is like this is like his nineties. I was like old enough to care about him. He had already like had an Oscar in his pocket for the Fugitive. Yeah. So, like, oh, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Up. Like this is before yeah. Fugitive. This is before like this is he's one year away from like blowing up and having a great 90s that we we collectively love about him like he's going to go on and do fugitive he's going to go do jfk he's going to go do the men in black like he's got so many good things ahead of him and not very much behind him so like i think when i go into this movie thing like oh tommy lee jones i'm using that what happens after this movie as excitement whereas people would go into this theater being like tommy lee jones okay yeah there's not much to like be hyped about there And, And like, honestly, Nick Cage at that point, too, is like, oh, that Raising Arizona guy. Yeah. That's it. Or, uh, I guess, Moonstruck. Yeah, or, yeah, the guy from Moonstruck. But but that's not even, like, him. Like, he is the Raising Arizona guy, whereas with the Moonstruck, that's a share film. Like, I got the Mm -hmm. Moonstruck Criterion. It's just share on the cover. Oh, doing the hands up and, yeah. And, like, it's just a share movie that has Nicolas Cage. At least Raising Arizona stars Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So, getting to the attack in South America once they're all trained up and everything, the I dominance thing isn't a problem. Like, no, it's, he's, it's, he got it's that a solved. one scene solve. Yeah. Uh, when they are initially attacked that morning, I was really just thrown as to what was going on because it was like not helicopters attacking them. It's just suddenly their base is exploding, and they really just like focused on one guy that got killed and i had no idea who that was <laughs> like did you catch who that was no, I, didn't catch I thought it. it was probably cage's gunner and i was like oh that's gonna be screwed up he's gonna have to figure out how to fight without him and it's like no it's some other guy yeah it's just like, like they... <laughs> just the uh, people it's just like hey someone they knew and like ate at the mess tent with they're dead now yeah. so <laughs> this is personal but that's the I problem guess. with this movie there's like there's literally three characters in this whole film yeah like even like when the credits roll, when the credits yeah. roll, there's two levels of credits, and it's like seven people and then six people. Oh, like there's several like, uh, like here's the commander people. Here's maybe the villain guy, and like yeah, like couple. it's it's like it's, it's the shortest credit list I've ever seen. Yeah, and then tons of military people in the credits. Yes. Like I was like half wondering, like, is this funded by the military? Is this like a recruitment movie? Oh man, that what would be this? not shocking. 
And then it's just like tons of consultants and commanders and like pri- like rankings next to their names in the credits because we do need all this sick helicopter footage. Yeah. So, and it it's good. Like it's like hey, the, even the opening credit shot of just like four helicopters in front of the sun is just like that's that looks cool. Mm-hmm. Like that's like a video game cover or something. It, like but then that game. but then the whole credit sequence is just that though. It is just that. I initially wrote down like a font note because I was like, ooh, red and yellow. That's a good pairing. But then it's like, that's not, they don't really do anything else with it. It's no. just <laughs> the sun was behind those words. Yeah. For the and then it's black, bit. black on white. Yeah. I did love, though, that it ended. Love is strong. I liked <laughs> <laughs> that the movie ended with a silhouette of the helicopters flying over the moon as like a bookend. It's like the beginning of the day and the end of the day. They were over the moon at the end. So symmetry, you know. Yeah, that's probably the most artistic thing in this film. <laughs> uh, but OK, it's just OK. Yeah, that, I'm I don't okay, yeah. like you have your list right in front of you. I have a couple more notes. Just OK, about the this might be the one of our shortest episodes ever. Purely because like, it's it's an 80 minute movie. And it's, it's purely, purely like movie. there's just nothing remarkable or fun to talk about. Like it's like I'm trying to be positive. But like I'm not talking about how boring I found Tommy Lee Jones. I'm trying to be positive. I'm I'm trying to avoid talking about Sean Young because she just pissed me off the whole time. Like sure. I want to be positive, so we're just focusing. And it's like not a lot to be like excited about. Well, it's yeah, eighty minutes. Okay, let's talk about something left field a bit for being positive or negative. There's a scene in like a club where mm-hmm. it's some Sean Young kind of not going so great stuff going on with uh, Preston trying to get back with his ex or whatever. But there's this like dorky band playing and I really took note of just like, what is this band? Who are these? What's this? What is this? Were they ever popular? And it's like, I'm pretty sure this is Phil Collins. Like, at Yeah, because Phil, Phil sings the song over the credits, right? Yeah. And then he has another song credited in in there. So I think that was him and his band in 1990. So I was the cast throwing shade at, at Phil Collins. Singer is Judson Spence. Oh, good. It wasn't him. I thought I was like besmirching the rep of Phil Collins. Uh, I, I just learned, though, that Phil Collins like acted in a few movies. OK. And I didn't know this. And they were like they're like not disliked films. OK. I just I don't know that I love Phil Collins, but I was 12 when Tarzan came out. So I just have some innate affinity, I guess, for some of his work. Uh, but yeah, there's a really corny Phil Collins song over the end credits as the moon shot is happening. Uh, but uh, I don't know, like the final battle, I guess we can try to elaborate on. There's this like flippy helicopter p- mm-hmm. piloted by uh, Eric Stoller, the the only villain that's named really in the whole thing. Is there any uh, other villain? There are. the. It's just the cartel and we're going to arrest that cartel. Okay. And then the general guy gets like the call after they've defeated the evil helicopter. And it's just like, oh, don't worry about it. We after you took out the air support, we were able to arrest all of them. We won. And it's like, OK, that's like the least climactic thing ever. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of want to talk about this uh, villain guy because he is not given a single word to say. <laughs> like he's almost an extra in the film. Yeah. But then they have these amazing pictures of him being villainous <laughs> yeah. that they have on screens and stuff when they're like talking about him and his terrorist training in North Korea or whatever. 
And it's just like, who was there to take this photo of him just like with a gun and like shadows over like a third of his face and like just like looking incredibly sinister in this like cartoonish way. And it's like, what? They're, just, they're really what good. Was here that took a photo. It they're really amazing. good at Photoshop, man. Like 1990 like Mario Paint Photoshop. Like they got some surveillance camera screen capture and yeah. really like spruce. They it went up. on to they went on to MS Paint and yeah. they started doing some uh photo edits. I kind of really started resi- like enjoying this dude though, uh this uh helicopter pilot cuz like he is given no character, <laughs> no no balance to this story at all. It is an extremely one-sided America has to stop that guy like narrative. Yeah. And he just gets to like sit in his cockpit and like slide visors over his face to do like helicopter villainy. Yeah. And do and, a lean in. He does a lot of lean ins. And like, just has this like beard. He looks like he's like 48. Yeah. And he's just like terrorizing the skies. I don't know. It was just I I'd only, I the when I was first introduced to this movie, I'd seen it like edited down for Superstation. So it's one of those movies like you assume you're missing stuff from. No, it's like no, it literally is just there's 80 minutes. Like there's no. Well, I don't even know what would have been like. Even the sex scene. Oh, I didn't want to get into the sex scene. The sex scene was laughing during it, and I thought that was kind of funny. No, it was like there's these like they have weird smiles going on during the sex scene. Such a fun time, and I was just like, yeah, all right. But anyways, it was just like even that was mild, like something that would have played on on TBS Superstation. Without with minimal cuts, if any. Yeah. If any, uh, was there even sure. a swear word in this movie? Oh man, nothing extreme. Like this is easily PG thirteen, like and just for war violence, I guess. Yeah, it is PG thirteen. I did at... notice it had three editors, which I guess is just to wrangle all of that helicopter footage and try to stitch it into the narrative. Yeah, there's oh, there's, there's also yeah there's such little information on this uh, movie. Um. Like to figure out stuff like it's still weird to get three editors because I'm pretty sure Top Gun doesn't doesn't have three editors. I'm sure there was just a whole unit that's working with the military to get like this helicopter flips shots. And then, all right, now we need Sean Young saying like a really unit. lame double entendre to Nick Cage while they're flying. But that's, about, that's like get your head out of your cockpit. Yeah, but that's and, that's know. not editors. Editors sit down once the movie's shot completely. You're talking about second unit. I'm saying like there's like a narrative unit and then like just a raw military footage unit. Absolutely, but what like I'm saying is like combine forces. Like editor, an editor still gets all that footage and puts it together in one suit. Maybe there's like a clearance thing. So with some Top of the Gun has two stuff. editors, but okay. Here's the thing: like three is an odd number. Unless it was a weird number, it jumped off the. It's like wow, that's a lot of people in the cutting room. But okay. And they cut a lot down, but yeah. Uh, Okay. I will end with like one trivia note that really stood out for me for the IDD trivia because it's just worded so different from all this other stuff. It makes me wonder if one of the many actual military dudes wrote this on IMDb after his work. Tommy Lee Jones did PT physical training with us. Ate chow with us. He was in full uniform while these things occurred. Most of the soldiers didn't recognize him, especially when he did PT, because it was still partially dark when it began. There's like a weird when comma. It began. It began. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, I guess I buy that Tommy Lee Jones would have been. My favorite thing about base. this 
is five of nine people found this interesting. That means there's like, this is the worst rated out of all of them. Like all of them are like two out of two and, and four out of four. This is the ones like five out of this nine. Is the most this. responded to trivia. Note and people are like, this is page. interesting. Like this so. is poorly written, but if that's true, I like Tommy Lee Jones more because he would eat with those guys. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it's so I don't know either. Uh, I found but, the yeah. trivia notes to be like, oh, there's nothing here. Great. That that one, I got to the bottom of my list and was like, this is so odd. I just want to point a, point at it. But okay. Uh, review of Firebirds. I definitely like it less than I did when, yeah. with, in whatever. Where would you put it in. now on your IMDb? Like, I gave it a six. Oh, wow. Guess, that's still so high. Which still seems pretty high, but I wanted to honor the spirit of Explosion Obsessed like earlier nathan that just thought that helicopters flipping was sure cool. do I you write like do you write reviews on your imdb or you just put numbers pretty much never there might be some really old ones but i just rank stuff wait what's your um is it, is it your normal um, it's my email i think is my profile so yeah okay so we we no don't say it <laughs> not <laughs> i didn't say rock, the rest uh, of them nathan at okvideo.ca <laughs> just check it out i didn't say um, the rest of it and i said it wrong too Okay. I did, though, right? But anyway, uh, yeah, 6 out of 10, that's kind of with some rose still on it, because, mm. yeah, this movie's not very good. No. Um, not very long, though. No, oh, not very long. And I have, a, I have a complete, like, unfounded theory I just want to run past you. Okay, go ahead. From your understanding of sure. maybe how the Director's Guild works. Uh, do you think... Because this dude who directed this movie is named David Green, and he would have been registered in the Directors Guild of America, mm -hmm. David Gordon Green had to use his middle name. No. Do you think it's related? Do you think it's like a Michael Fox, Michael J. Fox kind of thing? Nathan, you've been on IMDb. You see how many times it says like in brackets two, brackets three, brackets four in, in Roman numerals. But the Directors Guild is a little judgy about it. Is it? So, yeah. So then, yes. That's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. This I don't know what else this guy got up to, David Green, but yeah. uh, that was my notion. I just uh, David Gordon Green sounds like a great name, though. So, oh no, that's the thing. Okay, here we go. Firebirds is directed by the guy who directed the Phil Collins movie called Buster. Oh, so that's why Phil Collins is in it, and that's why Phil Collins gives music for it. He's not in it. Phil Collins is not in this movie. Anyways, uh, yeah, but Phil, I it was pleasant to hear Phil over the, um. Credits, though, at the end. So I was happy about that. Mm -hmm. Man, he's got 93 acting credits. Oh, they're mostly... Seems high. Mostly music videos. Oh, okay. Or it's just like, hey, his music's in Grand Theft Auto Vice City Stories, so he's credited. That's kind of stuff. not for acting, though. That's sort of acting. I think his likeness is in it. But we're getting off the trail. We just need to wrap this. Uh, Do we need Fire to birds. I feel like we're at 30, 40 minutes right now, and I feel like that's all. That's all the movie yielded. So we're gonna have to move on to the MVP MVPs to talk about more of this movie. Which I guess we're doing the runner-up system still because that's the commitment for Nick Cage season, but. I wish he got to do more. I think he still probably is the best part of this movie. Oh, yeah. Because he has I, the I am the greatest scene. And he's still like, I still find him like just an interesting guy to watch. So I'm still having a good yeah. time watching him, even if he's boring. Um, The guy I picked was a close, like a close, like, okay, maybe this one dude would be uh bigger than Nick Cage. But I, I decided against it. So it's still oh, my okay. second. But you, you oh, go you, first. This I'll, time. I'll go first. I sort of talked about him a little bit because I started getting really interested in this guy, despite 
the movie not giving him anything. Uh, it's Bert Rhine, who uh, plays the villain of our story, Eric Stoller. Uh, he gets to pose in all the villainous photos, and he gets to like slide the visors and everything. I found this guy interesting after I tried to find out anything about him, and yep. it's like, no, this was the one thing. This is the one movie he was in. He's not on IMDb. His name isn't even read on Wikipedia. Like, there's just a stub there. There's just nothing. Oh, no, there's something it's... here. His name's Burt Ryan. Yeah, th- th- that's what I got, Burt Ryan. Yeah, but, but he's... not on Wikipedia. It's... Oh, no, Wikipedia, yeah, yeah. He's just on one credit on IMDb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I thought this guy looked sinister and did a good job for having no help whatsoever yeah. <laughs> in the story. Yeah. So uh, I decided to gravitate towards giving it to him once I found that out. Cause, uh, he, I, and it got the biggest laugh for me was like some of those shots on the view screen when they're talking about how sinister he is. I was so caught off guard by these improbable photos. So good job, Bert. Uh, you looked like a villain, <laughs> I guess. So there you go. Bert, Bert Ryan, R-H-I-N-E. Uh, if you know more about him than the internet does, email us. <laughs> yes, please. Please. We would like to actually have him on the show if he's available. Um, <laughs> yep. Mine, uh, good answer, by the way. Uh, mine is Dennis Danger Madalone. Okay. He's the stunt coordinator for the film. Okay, so he's he's wrangling these helicopters to make them flip around. That's a stuff. good question. I've been I was trying to figure this out. Hmm. Yeah, I, I believe that's accurate. Like he is involved in the aerial stuff, but it's hard, man. When aerial like assistant aerial coordinator, that's the one I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. He's a stunt coordinator, and it just might be stunt. Like there's an aerial supervisor, and then there's an assistant to aerial coordinator, but I can't find the aerial coordinator. Yeah, there's definitely a sea of people related to the aircraft stuff in this movie. So also a like senior military advisor. So I definitely think you're right about. Okay. Okay, about here it is. Peter Peter McKernan. That's the uh, aerial coordinator. Okay, so you're specifically trying to shine a spotlight on the aerial footage yes, of this here movie. here it is. He does helicopter coordinator stuff. So he's like, anytime they get a helicopter in a movie type of thing, he's kind of like the pilot, the go-to guy. Okay. So he's the he's the dude. He's the one responsible for the really cool stuff we got to do. Mm-hmm. So great. There you go. There are flipping helicopters in this. They look pretty cool. I also just want to briefly acknowledge the Strike series of video games for the Super Nintendo. Uh, you play as a helicopter and mm-hmm. do various missions. It was EA in the early 90s. Uh, I thought those were good. There's Desert Strike and Urban Strike were the main ones that I great. played. And this movie probably harkened back to some of that stuff when i gave it an eight a few years ago it's just like man yeah cool helicopters and now i'm not in a cool helicopters state of mind so i uh had to lower the score but that was firebirds that was uh, firebirds let's, let's move into a question yeah segment so last week i kind of hinted at this question well i hinted at it by actually asking it where yeah. does you had mentioned in in last week's like intro that you love the movie store and the movie rental business and like you just kind of like since you were a kid, it was centered around something you loved, right? Yeah. Where I also had the same thing. Like I just had this dream of wanting to work at the movie store since I was a kid and I got to mm-hmm. do that when I became an adult. Where does that – like this is like not an uncommon thing for the 90s. Like there's literally like a movie called Clerks that is like all yeah. about people that work 
these type of jobs. Why why do you think there is a fascination with with clerking or somebody who works a part time gig? Comic book guy I'm thinking of on Simpsons is another one. Like the comic book shop was also kind of like this like coveted social yeah. spot. Well, when it's centered around a media that you like, it's kind of like you're working at a library or an archive or something, and there's just a bunch of stuff around you that you care about. So that was a big part of the appeal, I guess, for a video store. Um, I like that idea of like a movie library, like just like not, we wouldn't call it a rental store, but we'd open up and it's just like the library, but it's just all movies. Yeah. The actual library has like a decent selection of stuff, but, but it's, it's not all over the city and, and it's you don't not really I, get to no, like no, curate it's, it. It's not even ideal. Yeah. Like you flip through things like it's, I would like, it looks exactly like Blockbuster, but it's like we call it the library. Right. And I guess being interested in like a depth of catalog would have been nice. Like the kind of sad business reality of like, yeah, nobody's rented this in like a year. We're going to get rid of it. It's like, no dude, what? This is an important movie. <laughs> like we can't just not have this. Then we're going to have this hole in this filmography. It's like, we don't care about that. <laughs> like, what are you doing? It's $4 now. Sell it. Well, what's oh. crazy is like they would keep that. And then it was, they wanted to fill up with other things. I remember the same thing happened in my store. We're like, Oh, if anything that's been rented over a year, we would sell. And it was it's how I got a lot of movies, which actually worked out for me. But yeah, um, it was crazy because like we weren't immediately filling up the spaces with stuff. Like there was always lots of space for movies, and we were always seeing like we were always acting like we didn't have enough space for films. I don't mm-hmm. know. For me, clerks like clerking was just like this coveted position of like it. Yeah, it's that probably being surrounded by the things you love. But it was more than that. Like there was like a cool factor. Like I, I got to brag to my friends. They would come visit me and like, like I'd be like, oh, I can rent like ten movies a week. Yeah, well, that wasn't. Yeah. yeah, but it was like I'd like, hey, what movie do you want to watch? And they come over, pick a movie, and I'd rent it for them that night. Everything we'd go to my mm-hmm. house. Like, well, like, you get to be a bit of an expert because you're around it a lot, right? Yeah. So that was kind of fun. Like too. the record, I'm thinking like the record shops. Another one where you kind of got this idea. Like, have you seen High Fidelity? Yeah. Like all the like, like Jack Black is so cool in that movie. Like he's acting like I'm better than you because I work as a part time clerk at this record store. Like that seems to like <laughs> come like, with this the... should be a crappy retail job. This is not really coveted, but the yet, way it seems, yeah, yeah. But yet that happens, right? Like we have this idea, like the whole entire comic book dot guy motif off of The Simpsons is that he thinks he's better than you because he's the comic book guy. Like, ugh, you don't know that. Yes, like that kind of attitude. Yeah, I try to not like. I I feel like that creeps into like us talking sometimes of just like assuming a lot about like people knowing every Brian De Palma movie and we're just going to spoil all of them right now kind of stuff. Cause we're talking about snake eyes. Yeah. Like it's a little like, uh, not everybody cares about that. Oh, but here's the thing but, about a podcast. You zone out when you don't care. Sure. So hopefully we didn't ruin anything for body double fans. I, I, uh, I don't, I hope, <laughs> I hope that they hear that body double conversation. They're like, I need to watch this movie. Sure. That would be the hope. Like, because somebody told me, that is the best <laughs> twist of all time. I just, there's no way. I don't want to do that to somebody else. I'm going to tell you the okay. twist because it's not a twist. All right, we won't we won't go over it again. But uh, also, our store had the problem of like going from that two story like behemoth store to this crappy little trailer. So we got to like we shed a lot of inventory, and it was kind of tragic during the transition. Yeah, because for a while we were kind of quietly proud about like how much stuff we had. 
and were pretty happy about it, but then it just couldn't happen anymore. Oh, my favorite my favorite place when I was a kid, I lived in West Selhurst, so right next to that Rogers. And when I was like I used to walk over there and I just spend so much time upstairs just like looking because it's such a crazy depth of horror section. Like so mm. many movies that I'd never even like seen at my local like the blockbuster we'd go to up in Brentwood. Um didn't have any of those things. So I'd go up there and just look at cases. And I always liked how uh, Rogers did video cases versus Blockbuster because Blockbuster always had the case in front of the Blockbuster case. But Rogers mm-hmm. did like the – they'd cut out the box and put it into an empty case. So it was always like – So the, you get that cover art? Yeah, you get that cover art. Like you get Freddy on the cover of your Freddy VHS that you were renting. So yeah. I spent many hours of that Rogers just like looking upstairs and like mm-hmm. stuff like that. So. I- such a small percentage of my time at that job was actually in that building, but I'm at least glad I got to go there. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> was, where did you work? Uh, across the parking lot in the crappy little trailer. Like, that was a weird amount of that time. Of how often? Employment. Sorry, how long before you moved out of that building? I'm going to say a year, maybe. And how, ma- how many years were at that job? Uh, three or four. You worked at I Rogers think. Video for three or four years? Were we? F- I think it was 2007 to 2010. We were yeah. friends that whole time. Yeah. I was the Rogers Video guy. That's I why at... I keep bringing it up. I also worked at Blockbuster towards the yeah, yeah. its demise. I knew that one that because that was over the Westbrook one. Yeah, um, it was walking distance to my place. But it was like place, six months so. on that one, right? I I feel like it might have been close to a year, but it wasn't very long. Yeah. Because yeah. you actually stayed there until they closed that store. That store closed weirdly early in the shutdown. Yeah. But well, yeah. it's not a good location. It wasn't a good I guess location. Not. It was right near a liquor store. You could just booze up and, and get critters and head home. Yeah. It's <laughs> now a Japanese night. food market. It's actually quite popular now. But uh, yeah. Yeah. It's. I didn't. I, I had a lot of criterions there when they closed. That was the big score from that job. When you, that you was, got your criterion sets? was like discounted criterion yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, like weird ones, some I've never even bothered watching. It's just like, yeah, dude, the 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 pocket or what was it? The pickpocket? Why sure. not? It's like seven dollars. <laughs> it says Criterion Score. on it, and it's got my number. You know what sucks about my Criterion collection is I don't mm-hmm. get my traffic doesn't have a number on it. I I bought another copy of Traffic because it did have a number on it. <laughs> like I was like, wait a minute, what's wrong with this? And then found another one at Giant Tiger. Yeah. And scoop that up. Wasn't it? I was with you there, wasn't I? You were, yeah. yeah. You were there for that discovery. Um, but anyway. I just picked up uh, Rumblefish on Blu-ray. So I rent, mm-hmm. I lent Rumblefish, my VHS, like my DVD of Rumblefish to my girlfriend because she loves The Outsider. So I was like, oh, hey, cool. Look, there's another movie the he made the same year. Kind of the spiritual sequel. Very different. But So I lent it to her. And then I lent it to her in July. And I just found out this last week that she'd been hiding it from me because within the first, within a few weeks she left it by a window and it rained and like my DVD case, like the cover art got completely destroyed. And she oh, was man. so ashamed. Cause she knows I, I covet my collection. Yeah. She was so ashamed that she was like, Oh, she was like frantically looking on the internet to find me a replacement copy. But this mm. is like a really rare DVD. That's like, it goes minimum 30 bucks on like, okay used and so she's trying to find like a good deal and eventually when i was like like uh i was like oh can i get rumblefish back like just last week she was like uh no and i was like oh why she's like no reason and i was like what do you mean no reason and i went and grabbed it and she's like just started crying because she felt so bad 
Like, and I was oh, like, no. oh, don't feel bad. And then I went and like ended up buying the Criterion. So it worked out really well because it was on sale. Oh, there's a there's a Rumblefish Criterion. Yeah. Amazing. I know. OK, so also starring our guy, but in a minimal, role. minimal role. He's, but he's still there. He's definitely there. Yeah. So. Uh, but what was the heart of the question? Like just why video stores like why clerking like what is up with like this we kind of grew up in a clerk culture okay of I, I guess the only like additional thought is like it doesn't extend to all media because i thought this would also play into a working at a bookstore and i found that just the worst because it's just like the percentage of stuff i cared about was so small yeah I, you worked okay so I would make I the argument. I worked at a big bookstore. Yes. Like, and then I make I the don't argument know what the that the equivalent is for the United States or whatever, but it's chapters up here. It's yeah, like it would be Barnes chain. and Nobles down there or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the difference being is like even last week we were mentioning how much like I loved working at VHQ more than I liked working at Movie Gallery and Blockbuster because we were yeah. complaining about that corporate level. No matter what, you sure. have to deal with that corporate level of garbage. Like you, you have sell to those upsell. Sodas. Yeah. For, so when you work six. at like Indigo, you're not actually dealing with book lovers. You're dealing with a business that wants to sell you books. Like the ideal job in a rental movie rental business was like my local across the street Sundance video because it was just like privately owned. I, be, I, yeah. I believe like the, the ideal bookstore thing is either it's just like a used bookstore. A quirky used bookstore. Yeah. Because yeah. it's more it's likely really to have dream. stuff that you're interested in because it's like quirky right. stuff. But it would just be like, all right, you got to reshelve these books and like the self-help section. I was just like, I hate that any of this was published. Like, I would just be like bummed out doing certain sections of the store. It's just like, I'm just going to try to hang out over here and like sci-fi and like whatever. But then people would ask you stuff and you're like, all right, I'll go to the lame part of the store. Like, it was just like suck the energy out because we were basically just like patrolling the floor looking for people yeah. and they were never looking for anything cool no. that I was excited about. It was just like the like hundredth time it was nothing I wanted to talk about was like all right, I got to I got to get in the stock room and just like check stuff in. That's but the thing is like, like easy. I'd make the argument yeah. that like the people that are looking for the cool things, they don't just show up and like not know what they're looking for. They know exactly yeah, they what they're would looking know. for. They're versed in their stuff. Yeah. Like I never ask for help at the bookstore. Yeah. So yeah, it, it just didn't go like it was like by all accounts, like a good company. I just like did not like my role there because it was very bland and like you were in the back room for a while, right? The back room was my preferred assignment. Like if, if it was like, oh, good, we got inventory in. I can just do that because at least the group back there was like close knit and it was kind of fun. We could just listen to music and like scan stuff. But weren't you like, yeah. didn't you do it permanently near the end? I definitely tried to. But no, there was definitely days where it's like, no, nope, just go wander around. Oh. Spend See, five my hours parts, out there. I guess this could be a story for another time. My, when, I, when I was at HMV, I did about a year of... Uh, on the floor customer service working till and stuff like that. And then like that guy, remember like I kind of shared that story about that guy who yelled at me. Yeah. He eventually quit. Another guy took on the job, but after a month he was like, I I don't like this. So I took that job on and I literally spent my days, like when I was not doing work, I was searching our database for like rare, hard to find things for super cheap because you can order things at cost. So anytime you order a movie set that was only in, yeah, bc and it was like the best editions that ever came out so it was like on dvd like there was a scream said that the most widely owned ones were non-anamorphic non-enhanced for tv and i was able to track down through this like database because if if there's a copy at any store in hmv in canada 
you can ask for a transfer to your store. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, got, I got a customer here that uh, wants it. Yeah, so I get it transferred is, over, uh, and then I Murphy. would buy it at cost. So, like, <laughs> it was the most broken system because it'd be like, I'm getting this thing shipped across the country, and then I'm paying nothing. I'm paying exactly the amount that the company paid for it in the first place. There you go. So, HMV's out, out of business, and we might wonder why. Hmm. But there's a great number of things I got. Like, I got my... Uh, like my Running Man DVD is like this really like solid, like it was out of print at the time. Um, and I was able to track it down. There's just like a lot, a few things I still have in my collection. All of my, uh, yeah, the rock and my Armageddon criterions are yeah. both from this type of from HMV rate. sleuthing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. That's all I got for, for that question. So yeah, that's uh, all I got if you guys want to ask questions, you can tweet us at okay video podcast. Or email us, Nathan at okvideo.ca or Ryan at okvideo.ca. Uh, next week, we're looking at Charlie Kaufman's uh, masterpiece, the best film Spike Jones ever made, and the best adaptation of The Orchid Thief that could ever be. Uh, it's adaptation, uh, which features not one, but two Nicolas Cage performances. So Yeah, Donald and Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, the brothers, the famous screenwriting brothers. Uh yeah it's it's quite a it's quite a film so check it out that has does no that's not a criterion it's on shout though i saw it's on shout yeah i picked that up on shout yeah so um but but no no criterion worth checking out uh until then i'm nathan and i'm ryan bye bye for now